You guys are going to love this episode with R.T. Custer. He's actually a client of mine inside of our LinkedIn Done For You agency. And I'm actually a client of his inside of his Carter & Custer agency. So we are serving each other right now. And I find his story and his business venture with Vortic Watch and his other companies as well, just fascinating. And I think that you guys will too. And I think you're going to enjoy just hearing his journey and his insights on what it takes to be the visionary of the company and the business and, you know, going for those big audacious goals and dreams with the company. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Need some effective tactical advice that actually helps you get results and makes a real difference in your life and business? You've come to the right place. If you're finding yourself here today, it means you're getting ready to gain serious traction in your business, rapidly multiply your income and impact, and you're ready to make it happen while living all out. Guys, I'm Melissa Henault, your trustworthy corporate dropout turned six-figure business burnout turned happy and healthy CEO of a multi-million dollar online business. And you're listening to the Burnout to All Out podcast. On this show, we're serving up innovative growth strategies, simple implementation methods to put them into practice, and action-stimulating inspiration tailored specifically for the modern entrepreneur. Let's dive in. We are live with Mr. R.T. Custer. R.T., so excited to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Melissa. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad to bring you to the community. You have such an interesting journey from beginning to where you are today. And I love that you're an engineer, too, because my husband was an engineer. I just want to jump right into the fact that you are the founder and CEO of Vortic Watch Company, which we'll hear a little bit about. That's really this incredible, reclaimed, 100-year-old pocket watch business. Can't wait to dig into how that unfolded. But you're also just a multifaceted entrepreneur. I mean, you're in business partnerships with a mastermind. You've also got a content repurposing agency. Maybe we'll we'll dive in a little bit to that. But you've just been a serial entrepreneur in many different aspects. And I want to go all the way back to the backstory. So I was doing a little bit of research on you because I thought, gosh, I mean, you came right out of the gate from college, like very entrepreneurial, like in college, right? And that the question I always is posed, like, where did you get that from? How were you raised? What were you exposed to that gave you that mindset? And I saw that you were raised on a Christmas tree farm. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Can you speak to that? Yeah, I have a picture of it over here. I, I always like to kind of look at it and recenter sometimes. But I grew up on DeLong Christmas tree farm in Reading, Pennsylvania, or just outside of Reading, Pennsylvania. And that was started by my great grandfather, Charles DeLong in 1941. And that's where I got my entrepreneurial spirit is I'm a fourth generation entrepreneur, farmer. We had about 40 acres on that farm. And my grandfather and my dad and my mom taught me how to run a small business, how to sell, how to work hard, how to you know mow the grass, trim the trees, fix all the stuff. You know, it was a small business and it was mostly a side hustle for our family for, I mean, generations because Christmas trees aren't very profitable. It wasn't a very big business, but it was our legacy and it still operates. I sold it in 2020 because I am in Colorado now and 
unfortunately, we lost my my grandfather and my mom within about a year, and, and I'm an only child. And so I inherited this farm that's thousands of miles away, and I couldn't operate it. But I like to think my great grandfather, my grandfather, my mom and my dad, obviously, I know my mom and my dad are very proud of what I've done in my career as an entrepreneur. But I, I was born to be an entrepreneur and I kind of dabbled in engineering in college and I did all these other things and I tried the corporate world and I should have just stuck with the heart and soul of I'm a farmer, I'm a businessman, uh, you know, I'm a salesman. And that's what my whole family groomed me to be. And so very, very proud, very blessed of having that childhood experience. It's so awesome. It's so incredible. I was actually surrounded by entrepreneurs as well growing up. I think that it gives you a different outlook on what's possible outside of corporate America, you know? So good. Okay. So let's fast forward to this like million dollar watch company that you created seemingly overnight. I know it's, that's not actually how it happened, but you've got this wildly successful luxury watch business. And I would venture to say the engineering degree wasn't a waste. I'm sure the engineering degree had to have some help in the aspect of building and the manufacturing and the concepts with this watch. So Can you take us back to the birth of the idea of this watch business that has come full circle and been such an incredible business? My business partner, Tyler Wolf, and I started Vortic Watch Company. Actually, we had the idea in 2011 on the golf course at Penn State where we went to school. Hmm. He was a math major and I was an industrial engineering major. And it's funny because we, he started out kind of talking more about the marketing and stuff. And obviously I was on the engineering side. And so I was working with, with our manufacturing companies at first and doing all my three-dimensional design work that I learned how to do in college. And then at some point we realized that our skill sets and our passions were actually switched and we switched over and fast forward to today, he runs all of our manufacturing. He runs all our machines, you know, all the components and parts, and I run all marketing and finance. And so having a business partner and having all those conversations across, I mean, it's been a decade. Thank you for saying overnight, like it's not an overnight success. It sometimes feels like it because a lot of people, you know, they only see the last couple of years of the journey, but we launched on Kickstarter in 2014. So technically it's been about eight years of the journey. And what we do literally is we take antique American pocket watches and we turn them into one of a kind wrist watches. So they are bigger watches, but everything inside the watch is a hundred years old. It's a piece of American history that we preserve and put on your wrist. And the reason we wanted to do that is the original idea was as simple as can we make a watch in America? Can we manufacture a wristwatch that's American made and like stamped made in USA on it? Most watches today, besides our company and one or two others, have to say made in China or made in Switzerland. Yes. And that's when you think of watches, especially high-end watches like ours. Our watches are about 3000 to 10000 per piece. And so when you think of high-end watches, you think of Rolex and Omega and these huge Swiss brands, or you think of fairly inexpensive made in China stuff. And we're in between and we're made in USA and, and we're really proud of that. But the why and the story is all about every piece is one of a kind everything's custom made for each client and every single watch has a story. And that's what people want besides obviously supporting Made in USA. Yeah. So awesome. And so unique. So you had the idea on the golf course Mm -hmm. and you got to creating your first watches. What did the first couple of years look like in, you know, getting the word out, getting experience, getting enough people out there with experience with the watches that, you know, sales just started coming your way. 
I know you're not one that does, you know, massive ads campaigns that the product really speaks for itself amongst social networks. And I also know you're a master of email sequences and nurture. How did the growth of Vortic Watch, like how did the growth happen so rapidly? How do you, how and why do you believe that the business has grown the way it has over the past number of years that you've been in business? Yeah, so our business has grown fairly steadily across those eight years, basically doubling revenue or so every year for the first five years. And then the pandemic was difficult. We did well, but we kind of stalled out the last couple of years as far as revenue growth. But our customer base and our, I would say, fans and followers has has continued to grow exponentially. And the reason for that is, A, we've tried everything. Like if you name an idea that has to do with marketing, we've done it. You know, we we tried selling our watches wholesale to jewelry stores for them to resell because we thought that's how you ran a watch company and we thought that's how it worked. And we did that for a few years realize that's not very profitable. And most of our customers want to speak to us as the owners and the founders. And so direct to consumer was better. And so in 2020, especially, we just pivoted back to direct to consumer. And that worked really well. We tried advertising in major newspapers and magazines, because again, you know, Rolex and Omega, these huge companies, they put full page ads in these beautiful magazines. We're like, okay, maybe that's how we get customers. First time we did that, we got sued over a trademark, that lawsuit took about six years to defend ourselves. It's called Hamilton v. Vortic. And we took down the world's largest watch company in federal court. So that that, that really stalled us out for (laughs) for a little while. So I had to learn everything there is to know about trademarks, unfortunately. And Tyler, you know, was was making watches that whole time. I was like, don't stop making watches. We're going to sell them. And so we, because we were in that huge lawsuit, because we tried all these different things, you know, marketing, obviously Facebook ads. Like I, I ran our own Facebook ads for a while. I worked with like five different agencies and they all sucked. And so I was just like, real, I was trying all these things. We've tried PR with several different companies. We're trying again now. We have a new PR company that's pitching us now. I'm trying LinkedIn stuff with you. I'm trying to, right now, my focus is growing personal brand. That's a new thing. It's like, how do you grow a personal brand and bring it into the bringing into the consumer product business. I mean, obviously certain things worked better than others, but the core of it all, after trying literally everything that you could read about in any marketing book or any, you know, any business book, the core of it all is to create raving fans. I call them, uh, there's a book called Super Fans by Pat Flynn. That book, context that he shares in that book, And then everything that goes into building a story brand by Don Miller, and then start with why. I would say if I could do it all again, I would read those three books, building a story brand, start with why and super fans. And then I would just focus on building my fan base, my followers, and not just customers, not just paying customers, but customers that talk about you and share about you all the time. Because that's really the key to our, our recent success is most of our customers, at least 50% of our customers, purchase a second watch within 12 months of purchasing their first. And these are not inexpensive. And so we have people that just love Vortec Watch Company. They talk about us all the time. They share about us all the time, even people that aren't customers. Mm -hmm. And it's because that's what we're focused on, is just delivering an insanely high-quality product for a good value 
and not just the product, but the whole experience behind it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that goes into that and lots of different facets of it. But when we realized that it's the customer and turning that customer into a fan, that's mm-hmm. the most important thing. We just, everything we do now, we focus on that. Like, what, how, do we, how do we get not just a sale, mm-hmm. but a lifelong friend out of this person yeah. that purchased a watch? It's so good. It makes me think about, so, you know, RT and I are in the same mastermind together and we toured Disney World the other day. And one of the exercises was kind of observing how Disney World runs their business or is it Disneyland? I always get them confused. Disneyland, Disneyland is where we yeah. went. But, yeah, yep. but I love what you said about like 50% of your customers are returning customers. Mm-hmm. And one of the exercises that we did with the mastermind was like, once we have our audience, our customers, it's much easier to then sell them something again inside the amusement park than it is to go out and find new customers. So I love that you say that, RT. It makes me think about our dog. Just follow me on this for just a second. But we have this ridiculously expensive dog. Like I would never publicly tell anyone how much we actually paid for this dog, but it was exactly what we wanted. And we were introduced to him by through a friend who also had a dog just like him who bought that same breed for his mother. And as soon as the dog got to the house, within days, I'm like, oh my gosh, we almost need another one. Like we need we need two of these dogs, right? And so I can see where when you have someone who loves the end product, they're going to tell people who are going to share in, um, in, in especially experience, right? So anyway, it just kind of brought me full circle to our little Disneyland tour last week. And that's, yeah, and that's a really good example. And as someone with two dogs, I might, you know, I might advise to stick with one because it's a lot, especially with kids, you know, and I know you got a few of them running around too. And when you stack it all, it's, it's a lot, you know, I I have two dogs and two little kids and man, they're cute. And we also spent a fair amount of money on our dogs because we wanted very specific things. And that's the other thing I would say is in order to figure out how to create fans or followers from your customers, you have to figure out who that customer is that can be turned into a fan. Because not every customer is going to be a super fan. Some people just want to buy a watch and some people are buying a watch for a gift. But we had to do a lot of customer research to find people like you that make decisions like that to say, I don't want just a watch. I want an heirloom that I'm going to pass down generations. I want a conversation piece that I'm going to talk about all the time. I'm not going to wear an Apple watch. I'm not going to buy a Rolex. That's a cop out. I want something that's cool and different and worth talking about. And they go down the rabbit hole of research. And then when they find out about Vortec, they're like, holy crap, this is cool. And what my business partner, Tyler, says, and and what we focus on is the more you learn about Vortec Watch Company, the more you want to buy one and the more in tune you are with our brand and our ethos and all that stuff. A lot of companies, as you start you know, flipping the pages and you learn more about how it's made or the story behind it or the founders behind it. You're like, you find out something you're like, ah, you know, oh, they make it in China. Like, ah, that's, you know, oh, oh they, they don't actually know how it's made, right? Like they don't, they, you, there's missing pieces in the story that, that remove excitement from the experience. Mm. We've crafted this entire experience and this customer journey that's ongoing where the more you know about us, the more you're like, okay, you know, either these guys are really cool and I want to support them, which is great. We have a lot of customers that just want to support small business and American small business, or these watches are amazing. I have to have five. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and that's really, 
again, everything we do, we're focused on like not just that first impression with the customer, but the second, the third, the fourth, the tenth. And I think that is wildly valuable and a huge key to our success recently, especially. It's so valuable, so insightful. Awesome. Okay. Before we move forward with additional questions around business and collaboration, before we move off of the Portic Watch topic, I know you have a cool military series coming out, right? For those who catch this podcast while we're streaming live over on LinkedIn or catch the replay on this, do you want to talk a little bit about this special series that's coming out in November? Because it has a pretty cool story as well. Yeah, I'm wearing last year's on my wrist and and this year's is is being assembled in this room right next to me right now. We're making the serial number one of the two watches we're releasing on November 11th. It's vorticwatches.com slash military to learn more, but it's called the military edition. But inside this wristwatch is a pocket watch that was flown on the B-bombers in World War II, like the mm-hmm. B-17s, Flying Fortress, B-29s, any aircraft in World War II that had navigator had what's called the master navigator's watch. And it was a pocket watch. And that's how the navigators knew what time it was and therefore where they were in the skies. Remember, this is like 1938 to 1945. And so there was no GPS. There was no laser guidance. There was nothing like that. They had to know what time it was to know whether they were over Germany or France. And that's very (laughs) important. And so this is a literal piece of military history that you get to wear that's really our ethos of what we do is we salvage antique American pocket watches and turn them into wristwatches. These particular pocket watches are basically military and Air Force focused. And back then they made about 100,000 of them. We find 50 of them per year and release them only on Veterans Day at 12 noon Mountain Time. And on that page, it was vorticwatches.com slash military. There's all kinds of information about the history of the watch, what you know, where it was used, what planes it was flown on, what they look like. Every year we change a couple things, we make them look different, but it's our limited edition that comes out just on one day. So cool. Last thing I'll say on this, because I know you and I had a conversation about this. What I think is so cool is, you know, RT had shared with me a couple months ago, maybe when we first met, you know, a lot of people have some pocket watch somewhere Mm -hmm. in a drawer. I know my husband has one that was given to him by his grandfather, who also was in World War II. And it's been in that drawer since the day I moved in with him. Right. Never seen it, never wears it because who carries a pocket watch around? Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things you mentioned to me was, hey, you know, if you can give me the details on that pocket watch, we can potentially turn that into a Vortic watch for you. So, you know, anybody listening who's thinking about, gosh, you know, I've got a significant other or someone I care about or love that, you know, has this heirloom sitting around. I just love the idea of doing something like that. I want to run into his office and, and see if it's in there after this podcast because I think it would be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, send me, send me pictures of it. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you what's possible, but we're the only company that does what we do at, at least at scale. And we, we don't just mount the pocket watch to your wrist and call it a day. Like we manufacture a custom engineering system designed to preserve that piece of your family's history, but now on your wrist. And to your point, most pocket watches, whether they're your grandfather's, your grandmother's, or just something that was passed down to you and you don't really know the history, they sit in a drawer and they've been sitting in that drawer for 50 plus years. And so let's get them on the wrist. A watch like that, especially a wristwatch, when you turn into a wristwatch, is what what I like to call a, a non-burdensome heirloom. You mm-hmm. know, most people 
have these. And my dad sends me pictures of stuff all the time. And I'm like, dad, I don't know how I'm going to get that drawer or that chest or that table from Pennsylvania to Colorado and keep that in the family. I'm so sorry. But if you send me a picture of a watch, yeah, I'll wear grandpa's watch for sure. You know, absolutely. You can celebrate your, your heirloom and your family history in that way. And we call that service convert your watch. And again, we're really the only people that do it. So if you just Google convert your watch, you'll get to us. And that's, that's what we do. And it's a custom service. It's more expensive than our normal stuff. It takes six to eight months. It's very, very one-on-one custom storytelling around what you have. But that's, again, the ultimate family heirloom. And so we, we love that. And it's such an honor to do that for people. So cool. So cool. Okay. So you had this incredible novel idea. And you birth it, you scale it, you become larger than life. Like I've been told, you know, you've arrived when someone tries to sue you. You've been through the lawsuits, mo money, mo problems. You've scaled, you've got your own building where you're manufacturing. I know, you know, you've got business partners. There's so much that's happened to get to where you are today. If you could start over again today, is there anything specifically that you would do differently for listeners who are putting together a product and your story resonates with them. In retrospect, when you look back over the last 10 years, is there anything you would do differently? A hundred percent. I would ask for help a lot earlier and a lot more often. Mm. I am one of those typical men who like to just try things and do things. And then after spending 30 minutes of trying to figure out how to mount this thing on the wall or build this piece of Ikea furniture, then I go looking for the directions, instructions, Google it and figure out how to actually do it. Right. And I think that's super common with early stage founders and entrepreneurs, especially in the physical product space, because you're just like, yeah, we're just making a watch. You know, Here's my business plan. I'm going to go raise some money. I'm going to get some investors. My investors will probably help me a little bit and get a business partner and they'll help. We'll hire some people and they'll help. Like, it's fine. But like, I still need help and try very hard to ask for help every day, all the time, because I am not perfect. I'm just this crazy dude with a bunch of insane ideas. And I'm not good at any of the the actual work. Like, I, you don't want me to build your watch. I don't do that. I have these crazy marketing ideas and this visionary stuff. And then I go ask for help and I find the people to figure out how do I actually do this? But especially in the the legal area. I fought that lawsuit myself. I asked, I was like, Tyler, I got this. Like, let me just kind of fall on the sword here and like take this. And you just keep, you keep making watches so we can keep selling watches and keep funding this business and all just figure out how to defend ourselves against this lawsuit. And that was like four years in until I finally was like, hmm, maybe this attorney that we found is not the right one. And maybe we're going about this differently. And I, started asking for help and I found a new attorney and then it was like a massive inflection point. You know, there's been several inflection points and recently again, where it's just like, I think I know how to manage a PNL properly. I think I know how to budget and, and do cash flow projections. I've done this many times, but you know what? I'm going to go find a fractional CFO and ask for advice because I think I know, but I'm really stressed about this. So I'm going to go find some help. Asking for help looks very different for people depending on where you are. Um, but for me, it's been employees, fractional, you know, staff like like a fractional CFO that's helped me a lot. Business partners, don't be afraid of having a business partner. I have a business partner now in everything that I do, and I think I always will. It's just it makes it it's it's lonely being an entrepreneur yeah. and having somebody else 
It's just really yeah. helpful. And then coaches and masterminds. I mean, you were in the mastermind together. We run Fast Foundations Mastermind, me and Jim. I can't talk about how awesome masterminds are and have been for me enough, like life-changing that and coaches. I've had several coaches, especially recently that, you know, just the perspective an outside perspective of just like, have you thought about this? And I'm just like, no, that's a really good idea. Thanks for, yeah, that that just paid for a year worth of your service. Right, exactly. Coaches, masterminds, consultants, all that kind of stuff. I mean, massively helpful, but you don't get it unless you ask. So I wish I would have started asking for help earlier to answer your question. Hey, friend. I just wanted to pop in to remind you that I'm hosting a free, yep, you heard that right, free masterclass starting January 23rd. In this masterclass, I'm sharing the exact organic lead generation tactics I use to scale my income from $0 to $1 million in just 19 months. Thousands of service-based business owners, coaches, and sales pros have already attended this masterclass and watched their sales skyrocket. If you want to accelerate your lead gen results and optimize your business's profitability, you do not want to miss this opportunity to learn how to leverage the world's premier business network for free. Again, this is for business owners and entrepreneurs who want to generate thousands of leads without tirelessly fighting to get eyes on their brand. If that sounds like you, here's what I want you to do. Head to the show notes of this podcast episode for the link to sign up for the LinkedIn Lead Gen Masterclass. The URL is www.livethefreelife.co slash the dash masterclass. After you register, go and block out time in your calendar for each masterclass training session. Get really intentional about how you prepare yourself for this learning experience so that you're able to fully absorb the information, put it into action, and start seeing the results. Can't wait to see you there. My gosh, so good. I love that. And it is, it's a a humbling journey to say the least. And yes, I know there's those light bulb moments when you're working with a coach where you're just like, that right there was worth Mm. every penny I invested in this entire year, isn't it? So good. Okay. Well, let's shift into the visionary piece because many times we see in business that one person is quite the visionary with all the ideas. It's very uncommon for someone to be the visionary and the one executing. And usually you're strong at one or the other. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about being that chief visionary officer and how you take these big ideas and bring them to your team and trust that your team will make it happen. Can you speak to being? kind of the bigger visionary for the business? Yeah, it's very difficult. Most people, as a visionary, most people think I'm crazy all the time because they're just like, either I'll be having a conversation and then I'll have an idea and then I'll just get stuck on that idea and I'm lost in that idea for a while and I have to have somebody like bring me back. Or or they'll be like, you already have three businesses. Do you really need another one? And I'm like, ah. No, but like, I, I, what do I do with this idea? You know, like somebody has to do this. Like, I think I might do it. You know, I, I still, and I think it'll be a forever thing for me. I have a, a, a list in my phone of other businesses that I will probably start someday or, or sell the ideas to somebody else. And I think the, the hardest part of that is learning that about yourself. 
Mm. and the inner work that's around that. And that's been my journey for the last couple of years is mm. when people think I'm crazy or when people don't understand how my brain works and why I think differently and why I have to have multiple businesses or I feel like I do, it's okay. I have to tell myself on a daily basis that it's okay. And someone in our mastermind, one of the speakers last week, I think it was uh, Chris's business partner, Matt, he said, not everyone can come with you. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I was just like, shit, like that's, that's, that's it. You know, yes. um, there are humans and it, whether you're a visionary, an integrator, uh, you know, just you're a CEO of a big company, you are the, the five people that, that you surround yourself with. That's a hundred percent true. And so I have to surround myself with people that build me up, that support me, that understand me, or at least will have the patience to understand me. Like my business partner, Tyler, like my business partner in our agency and, and Fast Foundations Mastermind, Jim Carter, we are complementary in that way. Mm -hmm. And if, if you have a business partner that's also has visionary tendencies and those things like that, then your first employee needs to be an integrator or an operator. Mm -hmm. The best book about all this is Traction. Amazing, you know, eye-opening. It's like, wow, okay, why? But the, the point I'm trying to make is the hardest part of it is A, being okay with who you are, learning as much as you can about who you are and how your brain works. And then the hardest part for me is getting the information from here and having it come out in a way that doesn't freak people out. Right. Um, and that's a journey in itself. And that's why you surround yourself with people that get it, that get you or that are okay with it. And I said it to somebody yesterday, I forget what we were talking about, but I was just like, at this point in my life, I spend a lot of time protecting other people that work from me, from me. Like I am literally protecting them from the shit that I do and say. And I used to not do that. I would just like the guys at Vortec, they would call me like, um, they would call it a hurricane. Like when I would come back from a mastermind or out of a meeting or from a trip, like I do all these trade shows and stuff where we sell watches in person. I'd come back with like 50 ideas and I'd sit down with all of them, everybody that works for the whole company and be like, all right, so like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And it freaks people out because they're just like, okay, but I'm doing this today and you want me to do this, like how... That's not, that's not what they were hired to do is help me figure out how to get from A to B. Right. My business partners, my coaches, my mastermind friends like you, I've learned to kind of like when I leave stuff like that and I have all these crazy ideas, I write them down. I think about them for a couple of days, make sure that's the right thing, you know, just with me. And then I tell one person at a time, you know, yep. I start with my business partners yeah. And then I start with like our COO or our integrator or something like that and be like, all right, crazy idea time. Hear me out. Here's what I'm thinking. And then if they think it's a good idea or they don't totally shut it down, then we're like, all right, let's schedule a meeting. Let's plan it out. Let's figure out how we would actually do this. Cool idea. But like, holy shit, this is different. Right. How do we figure that out? And then once it's totally planned out and there's no variables left, then you present it to the people that actually do the work. Right. And I, if I told you it took me six or eight years to learn that, that would be accurate. Like it's, you have to fail. You have to 
all of this is from me doing all that stuff and messing a whole bunch of stuff up and distracting people. And I mean, losing, I've lost some really good team members and people that work for me because it was just a huge disconnect. And they were just like, this is, this dude's crazy. And so now that I've learned all of that through the hard way, I, yeah, I protect those around me from what happens in here. Yep. And I also am okay with what happens in here mentally, emotionally, physically. That's okay. I am who I am. And if you don't accept me, then you don't get to be in my inner circle. And that's also okay. Yep. Yep. So I have no idea if I answered your question, but that's how a visionary's brain works. (laughs) No, it's so good. And it's so funny because I'm the same way. Like when I came back from Chris's mastermind earlier this year, I came home with 12 ideas to execute on immediately. And the team was just spinning lots and lots of plates. So I totally hear you on that. So a follow-up question to this, because I'm the same, like I've got a million ideas and a million things that we could do. And even my integrator and operator is it's a visionary too. Like she'll run with just about anything and come with a lot of ideas too. So sure. challenge always is how do you assess bandwidth for your team? Like I know that you mm. took on the mastermind this year, right? And yep. you also are in partnership with the agency. And I know for me, I see lots of opportunities and I see places we could develop more offers and things that we can do in our business but it's always at a cost energetically with my team that if we're going to be doing this, it's going to pull from that. Do you have any kind of general formula or process you go through to help you come up with those decisions? And did you, have you experienced that pull before? Like when you picked up, for instance, the, the mastermind, did you feel the pull from your team of having to manage more than they're used to? I mean, can you speak to that? Yeah. When we bought Fast Foundations Mastermind, it was absolute chaos and a total travesty. Our team was just like, wait, so you hired us to run this advertising agency and help you build this agency. And that's all going pretty well, but we're still trying to figure that out. And now you're, you just bought this, this company and now we have to run that too. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. So to answer your question, a lot of people And this is why I can't ever work for anyone else anymore and I can never work in corporate again. Most people in corporate and big companies, they make a big decision. They're like, we're going to do this new thing. We're going to merge with this company or buy this company, whatever. And then they bring outside consultants in and it's, it's a mess because now you added more cooks to the kitchen. Not good. And those people don't know your business. You listen to what they say and you take notes and these people that have worked, especially people that have worked with you for two years. And like I said, like they understand how your brain works and they're okay with it. And they're like, okay, RT's, you know, on an, on a tangent now. Let's, let's, let's listen in. Those people are sitting on some amazing ideas and they are absolutely all in and seriously focused on how do I make my life easier? Everybody is selfish and that's okay. That's one thing you got to learn. They want to figure out how to make their job more fun or less stressful, depending on how you do it. So if I had to do this again, and as I will do this again, and merge companies and add team members, grow different businesses and different sizes of the business, when we have those ideas, my business partner and I put together kind of the plan of like, all right, here's a crazy idea. Here's how we think we're going to do it. Here's who we're thinking we need and who we're thinking on our current team would do it. And then we present that to, again, one or two people, small groups at a time. Mm-hmm. And we say, is this exciting for you? Do you want to do this? If not, that's totally okay. We're going to hire somebody else to do it. 
And then we need your help to train that person because we want to keep you. And so here's how that works. And what I've learned throughout this recent process of buying a mastermind and kind of merging it in with our agency is, and I've learned it through having those conversations. So I have Bella and I've had her for almost three years. She's um, started as my assistant now as chief of staff, and she's basically my right hand. So I would say step one is have a right hand person that you can trust that gives you perspective and you pitch your crazy ideas to them and they're like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But like, how do we do this? Work through it with one person at a time, build the plan, and then present it to the team once it's already planned out. And then kind of do it in stages where you present little parts of it and say, here's what we're going to do. Here's how that's going to work. Here's what I'm thinking is going to do it. And then what I learned to say now is instead of I just say like, hey, Bella, you know, hey, Tiffany, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. I say, hey, hey, Tiffany, I'm thinking this is the job that's going to exist to do this. And I think you might be the best person for that role. What do you think? Is that mm-hmm. fun for you? And that's, I ask, I use the word fun and joy a lot. If this is not going to be fun for you, if this is not going to bring you joy, then tell me right now, because this is your next six months, right? you know, and then you have to be ready for them to say, no, that's really the hard part. (laughs) Right. Right. But then you know that they're either energetically aligned or not. And at the end of the day, if they're not energetically aligned, it's going to backfire on you anyway. And it's either not the right idea. So they're not aligned and that's okay. Or they're not the right person for that and it's not aligned for them. And that's okay. You know, there's what I do and all the things we're doing, we're growing like crazy. There's lots of other seats on the bus, right? right? We'll find another spot for you. It's all good. Right. Right. And I know so many entrepreneurs like yourself that I can be like, hey, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not the right person to work for. Let me introduce you to five other people that I think you'd crush it for. That's also really, really cool. I found people some really cool jobs. They weren't right for my bus, but everybody else has a bus. That's right. So that's been really cool. And then, you know, the, the biggest thing that, that I've learned through trials and, and tribulations is really that none of this makes sense without a big vision. Mm-hmm. So back to like understanding who you are, every business needs a visionary. Every business, every idea needs a giant, uh, they call it a big, hairy, audacious goal, right? For instance, Elon wants to go to Mars. Right now, they're putting rockets into space and satellites and they're building cars and all that stuff. But everyone that works for SpaceX is like, this is all cool, but we're going to Mars. So you have to ask yourself and you have to educate the team that works for you. What is your Mars? For Vortic, it's we want to be America's watch company. When you think of an American watch company, you think of Vortic. I want to be a household name. We are the American watch company. That's what we, that's the big audacious goal. Like that's, that's huge. That's where we're headed. And every day we take one step closer to that. And everyone that works here knows that. And they put that into the passion of, of that every day, what they do. So that's, that's a lot of what I've learned again, through not doing it the right way first and failing and losing people or losing out on good ideas because I didn't do it the right way first. And that's part of entrepreneurship, right? It's just failing forward and just learning as we go and not being afraid to fail. So good. RT, this has been so good. And I love this. I love this story. As we're wrapping up, I love asking, like, what are some of the most impactful books you've read to date that have impacted you as an entrepreneur? Because we're constantly collecting our book list. 
Totally. Yeah. So the, the ones I, I mentioned earlier, just for the good of the, the building listeners. A, building a story uh, brand? Building a story brand is probably where I'd start if you're just getting into marketing and you want to, um, you want to learn marketing in general. When Tyler and I read that book, uh, Building a Story Brand by Don Miller, when we read that book, we changed everything about VortexWatches.com. Like our whole website changed. At the same time, we read Start With Why, which is another one, uh, Simon Sinek. When you pair those two books together, it's life-changing. And if you look at Vortex, we haven't changed the site since then. If you look at the homepage of VortexWatches.com and you scroll down, it literally says in like verbatim, it says who we are, what we do, how to buy it. Because most people, they're trying too hard with all this marketing. And it's just like, hey, I'm on your website. I want to see pictures of watches and I want to buy something. So here's who we are. Here's what we do. And here's how to buy it. Literally with links and buttons and big, bold font, right? And so that's like the, a lot of the little things that, that I call them nuggets, the little nuggets you get out of reading books like that. Mm-hmm. And then story brand is, is just fantastic in, in how to tell a story around your marketing. The other one we talked about was traction. You have to be running a business for probably two or three years at minimum and have, I would say, 10 employees to even think about reading that book. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense. But that's a good one. Yeah, I read that one when I was first scaling my business. And now I'm like, I need to go back and look at it. I need to reread it and replan everything for 2023. Changed everything. And then the one I read recently that that was super validating because I've just been doing this accidentally for years is Superfans by Pat Flynn. And Superfans is a short one. It's a quick read. It's very validating on how you turn your customers into raving fans. That's mm-hmm. that's really um, what he talks about. And it's a lot of the same stuff. But there's, a, again, you get little nuggets of like, oh, man, I can, I'm already doing this. But if I did this on top of it, changes everything. Yes. So, yeah, I could go on and on. But those are the, the few that I'd recommend if you're you're in a similar stage of business that I'm in. Awesome. Well, RT, thank you so much. It's been so fun getting some of your time and just walking through your story and getting some wisdom from you and the trials and tribulations and success and the things that you've learned scaling not only Vortic Watch, but your other two businesses as well. Where's the best place for folks to come find you if they want to learn more about your watches or take a look at your mastermind? You know, I'm actually a client of RT's and they're, I call it a content repurposing business, but I know there's a bigger name than that, but they're helping me slice and dice and repurpose everything on every platform, including my email nurture sequence. So where can people find you? Yeah. So what you're talking about is uh, what we call Content Factory, and it's part of Carter and Custer Agency. That's carterandcuster.com. We actually refer to it as a community building agency. So we build community around you and content creators like yourself. It's how do you build community? Well, you repurpose all the beautiful content you make and build your community around that. So that's one way. Fastfoundations.com is Fast Foundations Mastermind. That's a mastermind for entry-level entrepreneurs. Huge, like I said, passion project. Love that. Just love. That's really my way to give back. Like it's so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, running a mastermind has been just an amazing journey. And then VortecWatches.com, V-O-R-T-I-C watches.com is, is how you find out more about wristwatches. And then I have to plug you. You are helping me build my LinkedIn profile and gather everything, you know, build my community on LinkedIn, which is growing like crazy. And I'm connecting with all kinds of awesome people. So if you want to connect directly with me, go to LinkedIn and search RT Custer and find me on LinkedIn. You can find links to everything we talked about, all that stuff, and then send me a message. I personally go through all those messages still because there's so much gold in there. So many great connections that I'm making right now. 
Yes, absolutely. I'm biased, but of course I love the platform. So yeah. Yeah, it's okay to be biased when you're that good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Artie, thank you so much for your time today. And I guess I'll see you again soon on our next like mastermind call or our next okay. one of our agency calls where we're helping each other out, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's cool. That's that's one of the best things about masterminds is, is meeting people like you. And thank you so much for having me, Melissa. And if I can ever, you know, help you in any way, I'm here for it. I, I love this stuff. And I'm sure, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, RT. Thanks, guys, so much for listening in on today's podcast episode. I can't wait for you to see my upcoming guest in the next episode. You are going to love this keynote speaker. Hey, here's the deal. If you liked this, please subscribe and leave a review. And you want the latest online business growth strategies and exclusive LinkedIn pro tips sent straight to your phone? Text the word UPDATES to 1-833-310-7171. Again, text the word UPDATES to 1-833-310-7171. Can't wait to see you guys. Come find me over on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you like to hang. I cannot wait to hear how you are enjoying and applying what you're learning. You guys reach out to me over on social because I love hearing what's resonating with you. When you reach out to me and you send me those personal DMs, they really do impact the content I continue to bring forward to you. So again, come find me, Melissa underscore Hinault over on Instagram, Melissa Hinault over on LinkedIn and Facebook. Can't wait to see you guys over there.